0: Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the echelon cycling podcast where we discuss what's been happening in the week and also look with an eye to the week ahead and beyond of course and on this week's episode i'm joined by patrick blake of Audio cycling and unfortunately we don't have any and uh what should we say uh a uh, big emergency happened for him so he couldn't unfortunately be hit but uh, yeah Patrick before we start I have a bit of rebuttal to do as uh, I talked about last week I'm still in Colombia this is going to be the final one for the recording and uh, last week I was saying that Harlison Pantano has a cycling shop empire of 106 shops that is not true it's one shop that's specialized so of misinformation there on my part and I should have checked my source, being my partner's mom. Uh, I think it's, yeah, Specialized has it. And then I went to the shop that he has. Very beautiful shop. Nice cafe. Everything looks really stylish. But the shop was closed. Not open until 15th of January. So, unfortunately, I can't give you anything from inside the shop. But from
1: outside, it looked very nice. Well, you did your best, Scott. You know, you, you you were just informing on the source that you had. You know, you, you were just a messenger. We can't blame you too much for it, but we 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 all appreciate you uh, coming clean and uh, clearing your constants of your of, of your guilt. But uh, I mean, we all forgive
0: you coming clean. And we've just mentioned Hollis and Pantano. A dinner. <laughs> but I mean, um, yeah, I tried. He didn't want my money, so yeah, I Well, What are you gonna do? You tried. But I mean, yeah, we have lots of, well, still lots of things to talk about this week. I mean, principally, we have Cyclocross. A lot of it been going on between, uh, well, Christmas and New Year. Uh, well, New Year's Eve that we're recording on. And, uh, I mean, Patrick, the headline, it's not the four wins by Macho Vanderpool, which is incredible in one week. It is him spitting on fans.
1: It was a wild one. It was it was full of drama, wasn't it? Holstone. Yeah, we'll we'll start with Vanderpool, but yeah, he, um, apparently people at a specific part of the course were booing him and kind of like heckling, and other people were saying that they were throwing beer and piss at him and urine, whatever. And yeah, I mean, it's not the first time that, you know, we've seen this sort of behavior at a bike race. I remember back in the days of when Froome was dominating, I think he notoriously got had urine thrown at him as well. Of course Froome didn't retaliate in the same way Vanderpool did by, by spitting at them. And it's definitely creating a bit of a divide on social media at the moment. And I thought we could just talk about it and see where where we both sort of land on, on this side. Because we haven't discussed this at all, so this will be quite uh, interesting to see how Scott I think about this. I guess I, I think that the spectators had it coming. You shouldn't be booing the like the the person who's like just just racing, like you should just try to do about whatever the the sport is. And if you're like a fan of cycling, like you should just a, be appreciating the fact that Vanderpool Poel is just really good. Like I know that you know maybe he's not the person that you want, wanting. Maybe on your bet three six five or whatever it is, you know you've got a bet on that one out to win instead. But I just don't think that sort of behavior is is acceptable. I do you know Vanderpool's Poel's response to it was you know, a little bit grotesque, I guess, but outside of like him stopping and like physically just like confronting that, you know, was anything going to be done about it by the UCI? Probably not. I think the consequences that Vanderpool has like a, I think I saw he got a fine or something, but that's about it, but I saw people saying that he should have been disqualified. I just don't agree with that. I think that Vanderpool was quite right to be annoyed at these people, so I guess I'm on the side of Vanderpool uh, for this, but what about you? Wait, they threw urine on him? Who brings urine to a sector race? Well, I, th- I, I don't know where is there is urine, this is from like people, on Twitter, so it's all like, you, you, yeah, but yeah, this, but it's all very murky, because piss is a very similar colour to some beers, so you, you don't really And don't the favor apparently. Well, yeah, especially if, if you have a bad beer, it can taste a bit like, a bit like it. So, but I don't know. What, what do you think? Are you on? Um, I mean, we have
0: had, uh, cyclocross riders get angry at fans and, uh, well, it, Sven Ness, I, I'm pretty sure he went like a wall at, at a fan at one point. And I mean, when you think about cyclocross, it's like this intense environment. You're doing a circuit of the same thing. They sell a lot of alcohol cause that's kind of the atmosphere. So, yeah, maybe they were bored at the competition. But, I mean, whatever they've done, yeah, d- d- they shouldn't have done. And it was in the Netherlands as well, in the Holst World Cup. I just think it's, yeah, they shouldn't have done it. But as Michelle Obama says, they go low, you go high. So, I think much van Paul, it's just not a good look for much of van Paul. He's kind of this demigod like does nothing wrong there's never any scandals with him it just feels like he's the pristine characters but i guess in the heat of the moment you're hearing all these
1: i don't know yeah because it was just on like the last lap so he just like did it and then went to the finish line and then that was that but i mean this probably isn't the first time that he's been booed at a race let's face it and you know probably just this was the straw that broke the camel's back in this instance, where Vanderpool just had enough of it, it's, it's definitely something which still happens. I mean, it happens in all sports, but yeah, it, like you say, Vanderpool is this very sort of pristine and it does put a bit of a bad mark against him for somebody who's done very well at handling social like, that media stuff. Although there was that incident at Wollongong in the World Champs with the, um the, you know, people who knocked on his door and, uh, and ran away and whatever. But Yeah, uh, that's true. Have you heard about that. that. It feels like people really try to test Vanderpool to make him crack because he is like this very, like you say, just, just, oh, he's on a pedestal of cycling because of his history and like his family heritage and stuff. So maybe people are just trying to wind him up to, I don't know, bring him down a, a peg or two. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, they shouldn't have done what they did and Vanderpool shouldn't have done what he did. You know what, if you're a fan of a sport and you're just going to go to a racing and boo a rider, just don't turn up at all. Like, if, if you're going with basically, they must have had some sort of intention of just creating a ruckus on that day. It's just like, just just don't turn up because you're not actually a cycling fan if you're going around doing that. And we don't want you in the sport. Obviously, this
0: is one of those moments that's going to go viral because of mm-hmm. that. And like, that's the thing. Like Joe say, he wins four bike or four cycle bus races in a week which is incredible and here we are talking about an incident that happened on the last lap not about his dominant performances uh, i think that's a bit of a shame
1: yeah it is a shame it's just it's the sort of thing that media pick up on isn't it don't care about the race wins this cyclist did this disgusting thing and that's the thing we're gonna latch on to i bet they didn't even say well, like he won the race <laughs> if they just put on the yeah I mean, it, I mean, that wasn't the only controversy in the race. Pitcock went down on the first corner. I'm not sure why, but he, he did. His like shifter was completely mangled. He had to run around half the course, to get to the pit stop. And then he like barged out right an hour out of the way on a corner. I'm not sure if you've seen that. He like just dived up the inside and was just like head butting him, which, you know, in, in a regular road race, that gets you disqualified or at least kind of like, you know, you like to, or disqualified to the back of a group or whatever. We've seen that in sprints a lot of times now, so that, that's another weird one where that rule doesn't apply in cyclocross. Pidcock had a bad race. Wamenaart was, as outside of that incident, he had a coming-to-go with Pim Ronha, I think, and he had a mechanical. Art still finished fifth place, so Art just had a really rough race, actually. All in all, so it's just a race filled with controversy. So we'll not we'll see. The one race I don't watch, and everything happens. Yeah, it's typical, isn't it?
0: There you all the other races I've just seen match of Annapol jetting off after lap two or three. But I mean, yeah, other races as well. I mean, White Will Not did have a win. He won Zolder for the was it third or fifth time or something like that. Yep. No match of there. And uh, we'll just look through what he's also won this week. He won uh Daigim, which I watched that, that was a bit underwhelming. Gambier the Bel- another belgian race the world cup race he also won that and he won the arts and cross as well so quite a busy period for him i think he's racked up the 500 kilometers that you've got to do for the Rafa for 500 almost in just these races
1: yeah literally he's uh, he's just getting it done all all on the cyclocross bike and he's looking really in fine to just be the, the world champion once more because at the moment once he gets kind of let off the front like there's just nobody who can even keep with him but wait to see whether Wout can catch up now like I said at the end of last week's episode that I said Van Der Poel is the best at the moment everyone needs to get on his level it's still that same story because he is currently just undefeated in every single cyclocross race this year so hopefully there might be a little bit of closing of the gap from Wout Van Aert. There was, like you say, last week, maybe he wasn't going like full gas and he, did, he had a lot of bad luck this week. So hopefully while and Art can close the gap so it's a bit more competitive towards the, uh, the World Championships. But it is looking like Anderpool's going to be the, um, the, the person to beat. But outside of it, uh, talking of people who are like undefeated, Fem on Empel has been toppled. And speaking of the, the women's side of things, because Puck uh, Piazza has come from from left field she, she's won the last two World Cups. she won in Hulst and in Gaber ahead of Fem van Empel so Puck had a, a slower start into the cyclocross season from what I remember she did like the first two races maybe and then took a break whilst Fem van Empel was racking up wins and it is good to see that kind of can flip flat between who's winning because I think we're all getting ready for just Fem van Empel winning every single cyclocross race there is but I, it's good that we're kind of going to hopefully have this battle between these two for for the world championships. So arguably the women's side of cyclocross is a little bit more interesting from a competitive standpoint than the men's side. So be sure to watch both because they're both just as interesting. Well,
0: actually, like you said, arguably more than the women's right now because of the level of competition. Well, Bernard did say he was trying to win that host World Cup, because uh, it was his final race in the Jumbo visma jersey, and he was saying like, with a sponsor that had been in the sport so long, it would have been nice to have done a winning winning goodbye, which I thought was nice, because he's gonna be in a different jersey for the next Cyclocross race. He's probably gonna be the first Visma Lisa bike, competitively,
1: you would say, yeah. And there's nothing else. I guess, guess Fan and Oh yeah. she went, well, no, cause she'll be in world champ bands. So technically mm-hmm. she won't be in the Visma jersey. She'll have the sponsor, oh no, sorry, Visma Lisa bike, still not used to her. She'll be in the Visma Lisa bike world champ bands. whereas White will be the first one to be in the true Visma Lisa bike, like pure Jersey. So yes, Wout will be the first one. It's
0: not great, the Visma Lisa bike name, but I mean, did you see the name that Valtteri Bottas, also a cyclist, did F1 stake something, Alfa Romeo or changing their name to it?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it not I can't. Yeah. they stop. Yes, I have seen it and it is weird and it is a grotesque name and I don't really like it, but you know what, it is what it is. You just got to kind of bite the bullet and just go with whoever's giving the, the best highest amount of money, you need that development.
0: Yeah, uh, I've got it here. State F1 team kick Sauber. Oh, yeah. Starts brilliant. I love that. I mean, Intermache. Speaking of Intomache, we'll uh, look at the jersey as well. They released that. They have a very clunky name normally. Intomache Circus 1-2, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like pump as many names in as possible. But nevertheless, their, their jersey was released, Patrick. A very asymmetric jersey as we're quite used to it seems to be catching on yeah what are your thoughts of this it's good it's fine i guess
1: i prefer it to the 2023 kits because the 2023 one was like this it was like a smoke effect i guess you could call it that or like an oil spill sort of thing going on which is very artistic but unless you're up close you can't really appreciate that because as you know we're all quite limited to like you know a certain resolution i can't so, like, unless you've got a 4K TV, but still, like, I don't know what the helicopter's viewing on from, like, way up high. But, I think it's just another, if, if, like Ewan would say, it is the year of the mid-kits. I just think the, the kind of pale, kind of citrus, whatever you want to call it, is just kind of like, oh, it's not a particularly, like, bold colour, because it's quite muted in a way next to like a white. It's kind of hard to tell the difference sometimes. I think I'd give it a seven. The caveat is by saying that my Bora one score that I gave a few weeks ago, I'm now bumping up to like an eight. I think Bora's actually is growing on me. The Bora kind of Fleuro works better because it's next to a darker colour, whereas the Intermarche one's kind of next to a dark blue, but it's also next to a white. Do you like it? Yeah, i going to
0: give it a six, but not that I'm any fashion icon. I mean, I thought what you've been banging on about in the last few episodes is that you want bulky colors. It is like all these intricate designs doesn't mean anything when you've got a helicopter shot sideways looking for them in a sprint train. It doesn't
1: mean anything. You can't see them. Yeah. Literally, somebody please make like a kind of bright purple kit that we see all over the women's peloton. Can we just get one of those, but in the men's? Because I think that would work really well. Now we've got Burgos BH, but I'm talking like a bit lighter, a bit more like a pinky. I, I'm, I'm, I'm turning into a kit design here. What's going on? I just think, like, like you say, blocky colors make it easy for us to see. Maybe yeah. Maybe they're going to do it. Well, i tell you what. Speaking of EF, the Tour Down Under, because they released their full stylus web, but they may have possibly leaked EF's kit on their website because it's like pink but it's you never know, had that green and pink kit I can't remember which edition this was or if it was a special jersey because EF bring out so many but that one which had like a very kind of army green kind of mixing in with the pink it kind of looks like that but it's got yellow but of course this hasn't really been confirmed by anybody but it's on like the tour on on the website And if you go, like, they released like a whole star list and EF did stuff like this. Yeah, pink jersey with yellow on it. I'm not sure whether that's actually their jersey or not. And I'm not really, and nobody seems to be really sure. EF haven't said anything about it and EF haven't officially released their kit yet. Bear in mind, we are recording this on New Year's Eve. So hopefully... We'll see it sometime soon, but this is very EF timing. We're all very used to EF being a little bit late to the party. we will wait and see what EF bring out. I hope it's not the Jersey that's on the Tour Down the website, because I think that looks a little bit naff, but that's just, that's my take on it. I would literally give that like a five and a half.
0: Well, speaking of Tour Down Under, Patrick, it seems like we have many of the team's starting list as well. And uh, what do you make of that? Who do you
1: see as kind of the favorite of the provisional list? Simon Yates is the favourite so far for, for, for me. Firstly, I just love the fact that the Tour Down Under has released like a full start list a good two weeks in advance of the race. Always. The start list is up for the men and women's. The stage profiles are up. Please can other world tour level events take note of this? Because it would make our lives as like to do preview videos so much easier. Instead of like Tour of Romandy re- announcing who's doing the race two days in advance, it's just so. Firstly, everybody take note of that. Tour down under, thank you. I think this Simon Yeats is my favourite so far. He was on the podium last year, from what I remember. And considering that he's on like an Australian based team, they'd probably quite, they'd probably put quite a bit of effort in, I think, to try and win this race. But also, interestingly, Isaac Del Toro, the new signing for UAE team Emirates, the Mexican who won the Total Avenue. He's provisionally down to do this race as well. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets a chance at leadership. But there's also like Alessandro Covey, Diego Alissi in this team as well. Finn Fisher Black, who I'm very high on as well. So it's kind of hard to tell who may or may not be the, the leader for this team. But do, do you think Simon Yates is a favorite or do you think somebody else is, uh, is going to be Fighting for the win. No, Jay Vine, obviously. Julian Philippe's going to go here. Binyo
0: Gumai is going. Ghana is going. Diego Lisi, Kelbuin, Corbett Strong, uh, Navaez. I mean, we saw Navaez at the tour of Austria absolutely run riot with that race. So if we get that Navaez here, maybe he can win it. Josh Tarling is here, but there's no time-trailing miles. Mm. Uh, they are finishing up the Wollonger Hill on the stage five. It's very what would you say, Tour Down Under-esque. I mean, you can't do that much more. Uh, also finishing up Mount Lofty as well.
1: Yeah, I think I like it as a, the course I think is good. Stage two is even quite difficult. There's a, a series of little bergs towards the end, so that might be a slight little breakaway. And then, yeah, we've got Willunger Hill and Mount Lofty, so it's quite a hard, but one of the harder Tour Down Under profiles in that like I've seen in the last few years it's got like three sprint stages in there as well so good variety so yeah no TTKs but I am interested to see what Tarling could do and I think just Ineos in general I'm not sure, like you say Navarez possibly but who's going to be the leader here ghana has been climbed well in the past Tarling is just a very unknown Navarre's, like you say Leo Hater, had a really off 2023 but his credentials should mean that like the right type of rider he is he should be a potential candidate to do well here so I think they've got a a multitude of riders who could do well here in Eos and maybe that's just the the game plan is just to go smoke and mirrors nobody knows who's the leader keep everyone on their toes I think that's going to be the plan I mean it'll all largely be decided on Mount Lofty I'm not Mount Lofty it'll largely all be decided on Willunga Hill I expect I just yeah, I don't see anyone going past Simon Yates, to be honest with you. Considering that he was also good last year. But for the sake of argument, George Bennett, considering that he's been tied to a Domestique role for such a many, many, many a year, it'd be good to see him maybe leading an Israel Premier Tech. Maybe Oscar Onley, DSM feminic, he would be a good shout as well. And John, uh, Milan Varda or Johannes Stannermittet for this Melissa bike would be or, and some of the good shouts in there. I'm just really. really looking forward to just having racing back to be honest, to be a It's just, uh, close.
0: It's so close. We've been, we've been having racing. The Vuelta, Costa Rica. We've had oh, yeah. all of these races. Guatemala. Oh yeah. Uh, What's going on. Derek G going there as well, uh, Bingham Gamay going, fortunately. The I thought he was going to be at the the press day for the team, but apparently that's not happening. Um, yeah. But uh, what do you think of Antonio Morgado? the Portuguese? Is, you're quite high on him, and you look. You would probably suit this style of racing.
1: Yeah, it's hard. Assume when I look at this UAE team, I like Michael Vanquard just is going to be rinsed. Like, Nils Pollitt won't be him at all. Like, he, he's going to be, um, he's going to be the domestique. But I, I fear Morgado could just be used as a domestique because when you've got, you know, Hodge, the sprinter, I just think that Kobe, Finn, Fisher Black, Alicia and Del Toro all have a pretty decent, like, GC aspect to them. Whereas I think Morgado's more of just, like, a puncher. And I think that you need just a little bit more climbing prowess than, he, than he's shown in his career so far so i fear that he might just be a domestique rather unfortunately because he is a very exciting rider do you want to give it a podium prediction or is that too keen <laughs> what the pre uh preview show of prediction. pre-preview show of- can we change it can we
0: change it the closer we get
1: yeah yeah you can change it okay uh um, okay do you want me to go first yeah sure okay I'm thinking
0: that could be exciting
1: Yeah I'm going to go with I think George Bennett will finish in third place I think that you know what I think Archie Ryan will finish in second and I think that Simon Yates wins Okay so you're really using the fact that we can change it yeah 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 <laughs>
0: Yeah, okay, I'm gonna say Michael Stora finishes third from the Australian national team. That would be funny. Uh, second place is gonna be Isaac Del Toro, and we've gotten here to the first place, and I'm not even decided who it is. So this is gonna to... Ah Jonathan Navas. There we go. Why not? First ever Ecuadorian wins the race.
1: Oh. You're using the fact that you can change your picks as well, completely. <laughs> We're going to start with really Hail Marys at the start and then just kind of narrow it in as we go along. Well, you'll just have to come back people will just have to come back next week because maybe we'll we'll have Ewan back and he can give his two cents on it as well. well. He'll probably pick Oscar Undley to win it. But yeah,
0: it's definitely an interesting feel though. It's nice to see all the new riders as well with the new teams. Like you'll see the Torpedo Philip Mojcik for Bora Hansgrove, or the, yeah, Jackin Rockin Grey, Jack Rockin' Get Red from EF, whatever jersey they're going to be wearing, Archie Ryan, like you said
1: as well. Stana down as well for Javere, sure. it's a bike. it's what i do as a, maybe GC aspect to Luke Plapp at Jacob Alula, that feels like a, maybe a little bit of one, but because he, he won, like, the COVID edition, I think, of it when it was, wasn't was an event. It was just, like, a sported or something like that. I mean, I, yeah, I just love the Tour Down Under. It feels like we've finally kind of kept the season underway. And you never know who's going to be in good form. Like, there is no form guide. There's no previous races to go off. You just have to fully guess as to who's going to be going well. That's true.
0: I mean... Yeah, that Jake team, now looking closer at it, is really like a great Australian team. This kind of team is like what they used to win the overall and then take a few stages with Caleb Ewan.
1: Yeah, it's really kind of like throwing it back, isn't that a few years.
0: But anyway, we might as well move to some transfers and um, one of the first transfers were, well, Diels van Hauke was one of the writers, another writer saved from the Human Power Healthcare. He's going to Intermarché next year, so good to see riders getting saved uh, last minute. But the writer we're going to focus in on, Ewan mentioned him, I think, and I didn't realize he was Danish at the time. I thought he was American. Theodore Stone is going to be the first Dane on Ineos Grandes, as a rider, obviously, there's been backroom staff of being Danish. I think the cook was Danish at one point. Might still be. And yeah, he's quite an exciting talent coming from the Call of Quick team. If people remember, also the team that, what should we say, developed uh, Jonas Wingold. They come with a, a big history of big talents, and uh, this could be the next one. I mean, Patrick, what do you think? It was be believed that he was going to sign for 2025, but now he's going for 2024. So, in a week of almost two Danish talents going to the World Tour, we also talked a lot about Albert Philipsen, but this time it's another rider going to Enios Grandeurs, 18 years old.
1: Yeah, I'm apprehensive to be hyped about it because i think i've seen this enough times with Ineos now where they bring in some young hype talent and after a few years they don't really do anything somebody like leo Hayter is quite a good example of that where there's you know there's loads of hype and then it's just like now they've not really done all of too much yeah and it's also like he's 18 do people at Ineos really get the opportunities to succeed before the age of like 22 unless you're like head cock not really it just feels like Ineos are just kind of squash talent and it feels like they're accumulating so many good riders like Andrew August, Leo Hayter, Michael Leonard, Theodore Storm and I mean Josh Tarling is also an exception to this I think but it just feels like we're accumulating so many teenagers and it's like this I know Ineos are going through this rebuilding that they claimed like a couple of years ago but how many thinks when is this actually going to come to fruition? Because it feels like we're continually signing young riders who have all got fantastic potential. Theodore Storm, no exception to this. He looks like an incredible signing. But do I think anything's gonna come of it? Is he gonna get enough opportunities? I just always feel like other teams like who have a development team like a Fismalisa bike or like Lidl Track have one now or dsm i just feel like those teams have it a bit more sussed out as to how to develop talent whereas any bring them in a bit undercooked and they spend years just like not like i don't want to say underperforming but they're kind of like growing and then they get to the end of their contract after three years they haven't got for results and then they don't like get re-signed or something. It just feels like INEOS don't have their youth development system sorted out. So I'd really hope that he's not just another one of these who just like falls to the wayside, but other than that, I'm very hyped about him. He's done really well in a lot of like national races in, in, in Denmark. He came fifth at the junior world champs road race, lots of like the junior stage races he's done really well in as well. Paris-Roubaix Jr. as he came third. I think that he's got all the credentials of somebody who could be a really good one-day racer, I dare to say. But it's never. It's always hard to tell what Ineos is going to do with his talent. What do you think? What What do you think he could achieve at Ineos? Do you think he will get the opportunities he deserves? Or win the Tour de France. He's going to
0: win. Be like, because he's, he's Danish, he? Exactly. So, natural bias. Dominance. Uh, dominance. The reason why Ineos Grandes have a hard-on for him is cause he <laughs> for this trick. He's got a cool name, obviously. <laughs> well that I thought is cause um he's a track cyclist. Well he's got a track what well, he obviously is on the road as well, but he's got a, a strong track pedigree he wants to get into the Olympic squad for the men's team pursuit, which is in Paris, obviously. So we've seen that a lot and that is what you've been saying, Michael Leonard, Luke Plapp, all these guys that had, had kind of the credentials from the track background. But I think the crux of all of this is completely what your point you've been banging on for many episodes about, that they don't have a development team. All these writers should slot into a development team. You race them in like the copy of Bartoli, in all these yeah second tier third tier races let them get some experience rack up a bunch of wins and then you bring them up to the first team squad it's like it's like yeah. you said yumbo have completely sussed this
1: yeah it's like it's not any of us are short on catch I well,
0: or are they because well, now the budget might be going into other projects we don't know that i saw an article about that that uh jim radcliffe the owner is trying to by Manchester United or something like that. So they're saying maybe some of the funds taken away from the Ineos Grandiers fund. Cycling is an expensive sport, comparative. Maybe 40 million is the budget for Ineos Grandiers, plus they get sponsors on top of that that probably pay them a bit. But yeah, 40 million, that's probably like a right back
1: for Manchester United, what he earns. I don't know. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, they're one of the most prolific kind of like transferring team this year of Ineos. They've got like a few riders who they rely on as their top performers like Ghana, Pidcock, Carlos Rodriguez I think Sheffield's rising up into that. I think Sheffield's an example of somebody who is going to go through this Ineos system and succeed. But uh, yeah, it just takes time and it just feels like Ineos need success now. But they're signing 18 year olds so it's like you know, I'm here looking at my clock 2027 20, maybe when when we're going to finally get this Ineos super team together i guess again you know, signing them early whilst they're like 18 provides a sense of like loyalty and they kind of going go to build this super team from like the ground up and it's going to be great and you know maybe i'll be using my words in a few years time but i just want to see these guys succeed i feel like ineos just kind of hoard all this talent and then some of it never fully develops into what they could be because they're like fighting for space with other 18 year olds and they'll just did get they... sent to the tour down under anyway
0: or, how did it or go tour... how did it yeah. look flap that whole investment on the talent like they developed him for a number of years and now bang he's at Jacob eula so it's like
1: in your developed talent to be which is poached by other teams and then it's at that other team that this rider does well so I can't wait for Theodore Storm to get snaffled up by Visma Lisa bike in three years time and then become the next uh, Danish Grand Tour winner because that that's, that's actually what Ineos are the development team for other World Tour teams that's what actually happened
0: <laughs> that's the headline <laughs> Ineos for Ideas everyone else's development team yep
1: there you go quote me on it
0: uh, yeah, three-year contract just to bring him back to uh, the Theodore the Storm. Um, I just think it's long enough. Yeah, three. So he'll be twenty-one. So he can still ride for the under twenty-three. Well, in the under twenty-three races at this point, mm. I just don't get why they don't have a development team like you've said. It can't be that much money. Like obviously you have the staff and all that, but like, do you, wait, which of the teams actually have it?
1: will tall we'll so, teams have a development yeah team.
0: so obviously Jumbo, Quickstep
1: UAE are bringing one in yeah. Intermache has one Intermache have one, Alperson have one um, I think Astana have one I think the Cath one 2 r have one Group Arma have one I think it's coming to the point where it's more that the majority do have one than they don't have one, and I don't get how Ineos, is one of the big players of cycling still don't have one, and they just go with a they just sign them up to the world tour, throw them into races which they are under qualified to be competitive in. They just end up spending years falling short of their potential, get demoralized start hating cycling and then just like bottle it by the time i are 22 and then we'll talk about them in years to come and say do you remember this guy do you remember michael leonard do you remember all the potential he had and then bang and you just just fall off a base video it's like ineos is the only one at the party
0: refusing to dance and sitting in the corner looking at the wall no i'm not developing a wood development team <laughs>
1: Literally, you've got, it, honestly, you've got, you've got women's teams who have less budget than men's teams who have development teams. Like, I swear the Archaea white women's team have a development team. I just do not get how any of us don't have one. It's just, it will forever annoy me.
0: I mean, it will... it, that pseudo-development team of Wiggins that turned into Trinity... If you're saying that that is kind of their development team, no, it isn't. Because what happened this year with two yeah. of their riders, they went to EF. Yeah,
1: because two of them went to EF. Luke Lamperty went to Quickstep. Yeah, true. I forgot about Lamperty. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Like, Trinity, great development team. But then Ineos just look at their riders and go, no, nah, I'm going to sign this absolute out of nowhere, person, but he's got a 92 VO2 max apparently. So we're just going to go with him, or we just go. We're just going to sign time trials and turn them all into Grand Tour riders because we still think it's 2012, and we can just create Bradley Wiggins again, like taking him out of a cryo chamber and just hoping that he's going to win. It's like, well, it's just not going to work, is it? Any also as like a UK based team and as a UK person. The gym, okay. I just, I just don't like them. I just, I just get perpetually annoyed by Ineos. But
0: like their whole spiel when they launched was that we're going to be the face of British cycling, essentially. And at one point, it was a bit murky how close they were to British cycling. And. Yeah, now they're signing Danish talents. They're signing American talents. They're not signing the British talents. And like we said, Jane uh, Jack Rocking Gray and uh, Lucas Maruk- Naruka—they're both British and they're both good enough to be at the World Tour. And Emile's are not signing it.
1: Yep. Straight, straight up, straight facts. Wow. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, enough I <laughs> said, me and you could yeah, do a whole episode about winching about British I, cycling. Not because we don't like British cycling; it's because we chair. That's why we're saying it. I so yeah, if-
1: I see what it could be exactly, and I just see that we're not achieving that, and it just makes me upset thinking about where, what we used to be and what we are now. Is there any continental
0: teams even left other than Saint Pierre and Trinity? No. It's a bit sad. But anyways, going to Ride of the Week and uh, Patrick, plenty of races to choose from in the cyclocross sphere and who's your Ride
1: of the Week? I'm going to go with Puck Piazza for breaking the Femban Enpool winning streak and reinstating competitive cycling in the women's cyclocross scene. So, and also Puk's just like, her like course recons are just brilliant. So yeah, Puck Piazza, my Rider of the Week. So I've got with the women's side. So, are you going to pick Man Obviously, Man United. I'm going to. Yes. I'm going
0: to look past his little incident. I believe that five seconds in a week can't. Well, unless you do something else with those five seconds, but in terms of what he did with those bad five seconds, I don't think that I uh, we can crucify him to not get it because four wins in in a week inside progress, i think that's incredible and as world champion and he said he is completely focused on that sick world championship so i'm all for it and uh yeah in your face literally some of those fans uh but anyways that's basically it for our 49th episode i think we're coming up to our year anniversary soon as well so we appreciate every single one of you who have subscribed hit the like button listened along as well on spotify etc almost at 2,000 subscribers on youtube so if you haven't already help us cross that mark and uh i mean yeah that's basically it anything to add patrick just uh, we'll see you all in the
1: new year yeah I'm 24 happy <laughs> new year
0: and uh yeah thoughts are with you as well and hopefully he everything is back to normal next week so until then
1: we will see you around